And I enjoyed the singing tonight. I'm glad that uh, he doesn't know those sins anymore once they're forgiven. They're gone as far as the east from the west. And I'm glad that I know everything that Jesus is to me. And I'm so thankful tonight to, to be able to stand and just for a little bit, bit, bit here and just preach what's in his word. And we're, we're going right back into 1 Kings tonight. 1 Kings chapter 21. Maybe you're not tired of going back in the Old Testament. I, I don't get very tired of it. I know a lot of people today say, oh, you need to leave that Old Testament behind and forget about it. Well, the New Testament writers didn't forget about it. The Lord Jesus didn't forget about it. Paul didn't forget about it. Uh, in fact, the, the Old Testament's quoted over and over and over in the New Testament. And so it's in here for a reason and for a purpose, and I, I love to read it. I'm just going to look at the first three verses to begin with. And then, uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll finish out the whole chapter, all 29 verses. And I won't keep you here more than four hours, so don't worry too much about it. But uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, and if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of His Word? First uh, Kings chapter 21, and let's look at the first um, three verses. First Kings chapter 21, starting with verse 1. Here the Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it's nearer unto my house. And I'll give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I'll give thee the worth of it in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you tonight, Lord, just begging for your help. Lord, we can't do this without you. Lord, just preach through us and for us, and God, just uh, speak to us tonight. And may we leave from here realizing what a mighty God that we serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, the last thing we heard out of old King Ahab, uh, this morning we preached there uh, about uh, all these things, but we know the big uh, showdown on Mount Carmel, that was one thing we preached on about five weeks ago here. And then uh, we saw where he'd, he'd ran home and, and cried to his wife about it, told her what all went on, and of course she... You know, she's going to take matters into her own hands, and she put out a death warrant on Elijah and all that. We read all that this morning. Uh, as some things transpired between here and there, there was some wars that went on there for a little while after that. And uh, then we pick up hearing about Ahab again here in 1 Kings 21. And so it starts out that verse 1 saying, And it came to pass after these things. So after all those things we just talked about and all the things that transpired up to this, that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So he is uh, the king's palace is in Samaria, which was the capital of that time of Israel. And so that's where he dwells. Well, they're near his... his uh, uh, his palace, uh, there is this little vineyard that he's interested in. No doubt he's probably got up. I don't know if he could see it from where he was at, uh, or if it was, you know, it says it was hard by, by his, uh, hard by the palace. So I don't know if it was, uh, abutted right up next to it, or if it was a little distance off. I do know he, he does go down and get in a chariot to go there. So it's, it's not real close. And so, but regardless, he can, he knows about it. And he likes this this uh, vineyard. He wants he wants this vineyard for his own. 
And so that's where we, we find out here, this, uh, where he comes to Naboth. Uh, excuse me, I'm a little rattled tonight. My, the sinuses have just about uh, got me. And so uh, you pray for me as I keep trying to preach here. <clears throat> so look at verse 2. It says, And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it's near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. All right. So one morning, king just decides, you know what? I like this little vineyard so much. I'm just going to go down and try to get it for myself. Now, what he's done so far is there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, There was nothing wrong with him going down and asking if he would trade vineyards with him or even sell him that, except for God had forbid that they they sell their land out of the family. But uh, despite that, there's nothing wrong with what he's done, not on on the the basis of it. Uh, And so, you know, so far he's okay. There's nothing real bad that's happened. Uh, but he is very greedy. This king owns everything that he that he wants. I mean, he's got everything at his disposal. He could have went anywhere and bought a vineyard or or paid somebody else to to bring him in the things that he wanted to plant in or whatever it was. But his greed has taken over, and so he goes strutting down through the vineyard there, interrupting Naboth's day. No doubt, Naboth's down there probably, you know, uh, pulling weeds and and take maybe picking off bad grapes or whatever he was doing in the vineyard. And uh, he just comes out, you know, just interrupts his day and uh, starts trying to make a deal with him. You see, Ahab thinks that he can have whatever he wants. He really does. And him being king, you know, uh, technically. Uh, he might could have demanded such a thing, but he, he didn't do that. But uh, he thinks that he can have anything he sets his mind to. And he thinks that other men thinks the way that he does. He thinks that other men are corrupt in their thinking and the way they live. And, and so surely, you know, there'll be no problem with this. And, uh, you know, he so he offers the deal there. He said, you know, give me this vineyard. And I've got another vineyard I'll give you in place of it. You know, it'd be fine. And if you don't like that idea, then I'll just buy it from you. You name your price. I'll pay you for that. Uh, well, friend, listen, the devil will come to you painting a pretty picture. He'll come to you telling you all kinds of things that, to try to draw you uh, uh, out of your Christian walk, to, to try to get you to stray from God's will, to do things that you know you ought not to do. And he'll tempt you and lure you by things that, that appease your flesh. And so, uh, you know, he can't touch your salvation if you're a Christian today. He can't touch your, uh, your ability to go to heaven and, and being saved. But he can sure fire those fiery darts at you. And he can put stumbling blocks in front of you. And he does do those things. And don't think for a minute that he comes to you in a little costume, you know, with a tail and a pitchfork and says, I'm the devil and I'm here to deceive you. No, he comes to you as something beautiful. He comes to you appealing to your flesh, to your wants, your desires, uh, to take advantage of you. He wants to lead you down the wrong path. You may recall over Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was fasting in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights that the devil came to him. And we know Jesus was hungry and the devil tempted him, uh, trying to get him to turn stones into bread. And he even offered him all the kingdoms of the world. If he would just do this one thing, he thought he was going to appeal to a greedy side. Jesus doesn't have a greedy side. And so he he lost out on that account. But in the Garden of Eden, we know what happened. He appealed to 
Eve at, at the beginning, the first thing. He's tried to appeal to her uh, her covetousness. She, he wanted her to think that she wanted to be up on God's level and, and be like God and have a mind like God's. And so he appealed to her greed. And, of course, she partook of the fruit. And then Adam comes along, yep, I'll do it too. He, he took of the fruit. And so sin came through Adam unto all men because of that one time that this tempted them. Then sin entered into the world, and now look at it. Uh, it's passed on down to everyone after that. And so uh, Satan will use your flesh against you. He'll tempt you with things as you know, your wealth, greed, power, popularity, sex, whatever it is that draws you. Those are the things that he's going to use against you. Now, Ahab probably thinks that Naboth is probably, you know, would like to have money or power, prestige, or, you know, a fancy vineyard somewhere. But uh, listen. Uh, Naboth's mind is not like Ahab's mind. Uh, from everything that we read about Naboth, he is a godly man. He has character. He believes in the Lord. He believes in keeping the Lord's law. Look at verse 3. And Naboth said unto Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. I like how he first, he just comes right out and says, No, it's the Lord. It's because of the Lord. I'm not going to do this because the Lord forbids it. I am not going to do this thing. Now, have you ever went to somebody that's supposedly a Christian and you, you say something or ask them a question and you never hear them mention anything about God or the Lord or uh, anything at all? I mean, it's more like you're talking to somebody from the world, you know. I think Christians ought to always have God in their conversation. I think somewhere in your conversation, the, the Lord should be right back there in the back of your mind, and you're ready to to just spit it out, you know, every time you talk to somebody. You know, you ought to at least invite people to church or whatever it is, you know, when you're, when you're talking and going on. Uh, we shouldn't be like the world and talk about the world stuff all the time. Now, there's things that we like in the world. I like to watch wrestling, all right? Shoot me if you, you want to. Some people don't like it, but... Uh, uh, I like to watch wrestling. I'll talk about wrestling sometimes. Uh, but uh, the the first and foremost on our minds should be the Lord. It ought to be our Christian walk. It ought to be doing things pleasing to him. We find Naboth, the first thing he comes out of his mouth is the Lord forbid it me. And so uh, I think Naboth is a man of great integrity. I don't think he considered the offer. I've heard some people get up and preach a message talking about all that, you know, Naboth sat there and he probably thought about it and wondered and, and you know, schemed and connived thinking how could he do that. No, he did not. The Bible doesn't say that at all. The Bible just says he just says, no, the Lord forbid, forbid it me. So I don't think he even had to think about it. He didn't, I mean, he didn't even question it. I mean, uh, he says, Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. In other words, my great, great, great granddaddy handed this land down, and you, I can't part with it. I won't. There's nothing you can do to get this from me. And so, uh, look, I know there's things in our life that we love. I've got an old shotgun. It's an Ivor Johnson shotgun. My dad gave to me, his dad gave to him, and his grandfather gave to his dad. And so I've got my great, great, great granddaddy's shotgun. It don't work. Uh, one of the parts is broke inside, and I can't find a replacement for it. But it's just an old, you know, old thing that's probably not worth anything to anybody else. But because I know it's from my great 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 grandfather, I'm going to keep the thing. I'm not going to sell it to you. Don't even come and offer me money for it after the service. You're not going to get it. 
And so this is the same thought here that Naboth had. This belongs to my family. God gave us this. And God made a law that said we cannot sell this land off. And besides, at the Jubilee, it's going to come back to the family anyway. That's how God's law worked. Over in Leviticus 25 and 23, the law states, The land shall not be sold forever. For the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Now, there were times that they would sell off a, a, a plot of it, and then they would get it back. Uh, but it, it, was, it was known. It was a known fact. You, you're not going to keep it forever. And so that's the thing we're dealing with here with Naboth. Look at verse 4. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. <laughs> what a big baby. Here's the king of Israel. I mean, the most powerful man in the land. And what does he do? He comes in sulking and, and moping and, and groping and, and uh, crying. He gets in the bed. He's not going to even eat. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to eat. I refuse to eat. I'm so upset. And so he, he goes and climbs in the bed, faces toward the wall, and starts crying like a big baby. And the only thing that's missing in that verse is where it says he grabbed his pacifier and put it in his mouth. That's who we're dealing with here. All right, now look at verse 5. Things are really going to start to moving. But Jezebel, and we talked about her this morning. We know who she is and where she's from, who her daddy was. She's the, she's the daughter of a king. He was a, 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 a worshiper of Baal. She's a worshiper of Baal and Ashtoreth. And, but Jezebel... His wife came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? Never fear, Ahab. Jezebel is here. So she walks in, no doubt. Her face is painted up, lit red lipsticks or whatever they had back then. And there's her big hubby lying in the bed, whining and going on, not eating. The servants, no doubt, told her, listen, he's not ate anything. He's really upset. You need to go in there and check on him. There's something wrong. He's, he's laying in bed looking at the wall. And so she comes in there, well, what's wrong with Will Ahab? What, what, what's got you so upset, Snookums? Verse 6. And he said unto her, Because I spake unto Naboth the Jezreelite, and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else, if it please thee, I'll give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. Well, in his best little three-year-old whiny self, his pouting, lip stuck out, he tells her the whole story and how, how sad he is now and just you know wants to cry over this. I mean, I'm so upset you just can't believe what this has done to me. Verse 7, And Jezebel his wife said unto him, Dost thou now govern the kingdom of Israel? Can you just hear her? I can just imagine this in my mind, her coming in there all painted up, probably had on you know the finest clothes and everything. He's laying in the bed weeping, and she comes in there, you know, and she's telling him, Are you not the king of Israel? You know, you mean you're going to let somebody walk all over you? You're not going to let that little guy do that to you. And so what she say? Arise and eat bread and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreel. <laughs> all right. So she has done these kind of things for him probably the whole time they've been married. Uh, he obviously don't know how to run his household. She runs the household. She wears the pants in the family. The pants and the dress. And so uh, he he now is probably perking up. Oh, 
my wife's going to get that vineyard for me. And so he's probably getting excited about it. And he doesn't ask her how she's going to do it. He doesn't care. He just knows that she can get things done. She's always done this. And so probably in the back of his mind, he's already imagining what he's going to do with that vineyard because he knows his wife's going to do it. And uh, it doesn't matter how she does it. It's going to be a wicked. It's going to be wicked. And he knows that. Everything she does is wicked. Look at verse 8. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people and set two men, sons of Belial, before him to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. Well, this disgusting, evil, sickening plot has been set. She's done this before. This wasn't the first time she's forged his signature and put his signet ring in something and had something done. Uh, she's used to doing something like this. And uh, she doesn't care who all is going to, you know, uh, have a fallout because of this. And uh, she's got several people involved in this. These people she's written a letter to, these, these are men that are in charge of things. Now they're in on all this. And they know that it's not right. They know this. And so she's telling them, you know, get two liars to come up and uh, make accusations against him that he blasphemed against God and the king. She don't care about God, not the God of, 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 uh, of, of Israel, but that's what she's going to use. She's going to use that against him. Look at verse 11. Oh, by the way, that word Belial there, that means evil, naughty, ungodly, wicked men, liars. It's people that lie, and it's those kind of people you know will lie, and they'll do it for money. Uh, they'll do it any time that you want them to. And they know those kind of men. They're, they're just waiting, you know, to take a, a bribe or whatever. Look at verse 11. And the men of his city, even the elders and the nobles who were the inhabitants in his city, did as Jezebel had sent unto them, and as it was written in the letters which she had sent unto them. Do you see everybody that's involved there? The elders, the nobles, the inhabitants of the city. People, all these people know about this. He don't know yet. He's not been told. Verse 12, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth on high among the people. Now, when it says it set him on high, it wasn't a, a place of uh, where he's going to get congratulated and all that. Up on high means a judgment seat. So he's been placed up on a high seat where everybody can see him. He's going to be judged right there and found guilty, and they want all this crowd. To the, the Jezebel wants everybody to be witness to this. So put him up high there in front of everybody. Uh, and there came in two men, children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. You see, back in that day, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, you could stone someone to death, and that's all it took. So they had two witnesses. They're both liars, but they were two witnesses that came forward and said, we're, you know, we're telling you right now, he blasphemed against God and, and also against King. And so... <laughs> Uh, they take him out and they kill him. They take him right outside the city and, and stone him to death. Uh, 
listen, this, this whole story began with one man's covetousness. It's escalated in the first degree murder, and it's also involved most of the town now. And so, listen, it's bad things. And uh, that's what happens when sin is allowed into your life and in your heart. Uh, one thing leads to another, and it's, it's like a snowball. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Verse 15, And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give thee for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. I could just hear the delight in her voice as she comes to her king, her husband, and says, Oh, get up now. I I did it for you. I did it. Yeah. Nobody else could have done it, but I did it. Get up and be merry and go take your vineyard. I, I've really I've worked this out for you. And so a wifey poo has come through for him. Uh, verse 16. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Now I can just see Ahab now. He's, he's, he's getting, he's feeling good now. Uh, he's, he doesn't care that the man's been murdered. He doesn't care that his wife has forced his signature and used his signet ring to, to get people to, to fulfill his, her plan. It doesn't matter to him. All that matters to him, he's going to get what he wants. And so he rises up. I can just see him putting, putting his robe on, maybe his crown, going down to that vineyard and strutting through there, looking around at what all he's going to have done. Probably has servants with him. He's probably telling them to, you know, write this down. I'm going to have this over this corner cleared out over here, and we're going to put, you know, something over here and all that. I can just see him going down there and doing all this stuff. But he's not counted on something, and that's what the Lord has to say about it. Look at verse 17. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. <laughs> Elijah's back. Elijah's back. Saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whether he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. Well, our hero Elijah emerges uh, again. The last time we heard from him, he was feeling sorry for himself, hiding out under juniper trees and in the cave, and God asking him, you know, what, what was he doing there? And then he sent him off to do some things. We know he went and he picked up his new partner, Elisha. All that happened, uh, you know, after that. But now God's got something for him to do, and he, he has him to pronounce this deadly judgment upon King Ahab because of the sin that he's committed. Look at verse 20. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. <laughs> if there was ever a bigger, self-centered, egotistical, self-serving, cruel tyrant to ever walk the face of the earth, I don't know who it would have been. Ahab is one of the worst men to ever exist. Uh, look how he greets God's servant. Now, he knows who Elijah is. He knows he's the prophet of Israel. He knows all the things that's transpired between him and Elijah uh, up to this point. He knows this man has God's power upon him. And how does he greet him? Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? 
What does he mean his enemy? He's the king of Israel, and this prophet is the prophet of Israel. They're supposed to be working hand in hand. He's supposed to be asking him what he's supposed to do, what God has told him to do, but he doesn't. He calls him his enemy. <laughs> Listen, isn't that how people are, though? You know, He sees this man because he's caused him problems as his worst enemy. And that's what people do. You call somebody out on something and immediately you become their enemy. <laughs> uh, and people are always looking for somebody else to blame for something they've done anyway. Uh, nowadays, you can, whatever, it doesn't matter what you do, you go to court and you tell them you did it because your mom didn't like you or your dad spanked you or something like that. Yeah, that's what people want to do. They want to take personal responsibility. My daddy spanked me when I was little. That's why I killed that man. Yeah, right. Give me a break. My dad beat me with a belt nearly every day. Made me a better man for it. <laughs> uh, listen, if uh, if you want to, um, I can save you a lot of doctor bills and psychiatrist bills by telling you two things. Stop it. Stop it. That's all you got to do. But he says, hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And notice the Naboth's reply there. I have found thee, because thou hast replied there. I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. I tell you what, that is such a condemning statement right there. Can you imagine somebody saying that to you? That you've sold yourself to do evil? You've sold yourself to work evil in the sight of the Lord? In other words, God's judgment has fallen upon you, O king. I want to tell you, friends, you may think that when you sin, you get by with it, just because there was nothing immediately happened, but you did not. Your sin will find you out. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, next week, or next month, or next year. But somewhere down the line, that sin's going to come back to haunt you. You're not getting by with it, and you never got past God with it. Uh, Ahab's sin is not going to, he's not going to get past it. Uh, you, you can fool a lot of people. You'll never, never fool God. Look at verse 21. Behold, I will bring evil upon thee and will take away thy posterity and will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall and him that is shut up and left in Israel and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Basha and the son of Ahijah and the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel also spake the Lord, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Him that dieth of Ahab in the city, the dog shall eat. And him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat. I tell you what, I would not want to be in Ahab's shoes or, or Jezebel's shoes either. Uh, God is, uh, his anger has been kindled. And notice that he says it's the king's fault that Israel has fallen into sin. Because of his actions, because of the things that he's done, it's caused the whole nation to fall into sin. And, you know, a lot of things happen from leadership. It goes down. Uh, if you're in a position to, uh, to be a leader of some kind, uh, you need to watch what you're doing because the people that's under you or that you're leading, uh, you have great influence over them. And so uh, you'll find that uh, when you do something wrong, uh, those people that you are leading, they also will start doing wrong. And that's what's happened here with Ahab and Israel. Look at verse 25. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. 
And he did very abominably in, in following idols, according to all things as he did the Amorites, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass when Ahab heard those words that he rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. Uh, I believe Ahab got a little shock there, don't you? He's down there bragging about his new vineyard and looking around and feeling all pleased with himself, calling his prophet his enemy. And suddenly when God's uh, judgment is pronounced, things changed. He's been caught in his sin. And there's no getting out of it. God's already made past judgment on him. And he knows that. The only thing he can do is try to fall on God's mercy. And what does he do? He repents. Now, some people say he didn't truly repent, that he just, uh, you know, it was just superficial repentance because he continued to do wicked or evil or something like that. I don't know. The Bible says he, he repented there of it, uh, that, uh, it says he rent his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. Uh, so it doesn't, you know, use the word repentance there, but that's what this is a sign of. Uh, when you fell down and tried to get uh, sincere with God, that's that's the actions that you took. And so, uh, you know, sometimes we read in Scripture men like Ahab, and it seems like they escape a lot of times God's wrath and God's judgment. And we wonder why. You know, why does God allow evil men to continue on and go? I mean, this man served as king for, what I don't remember how many years, 20, 22, something like that. A lot of these evil kings served 40 years and, and such. And we always wonder why God allows that to happen. And listen, friend, there's not a person under the sound of my voice today that doesn't deserve uh, to be in hell tonight. We all are wicked. We are all sinners. We don't deserve salvation. But by God's grace and God's mercy, uh, he saved us. If you're saved tonight, he saved you. And that was simply by grace through faith. His grace is what saved you because he had mercy upon you. He's going to have mercy on Ahab. Uh, to us, we don't like that. We don't like that at all. Look at it, verse 28. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Seest thou how Ahab humbled himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. All right. Now, Ahab went on to live about three more years. Uh, he was in battle, if you remember, and uh, uh, he had, who was it, Jehoshaphat put on uh, his uh, his robe, and, and he pretended to be one of the soldiers, and, and they killed him out there. He died in his chariot, his blood run out, and dogs licked his blood up. Uh, that was about three years after this judgment was pronounced. However, his son, judgment did fall upon his son in his place. Uh, you can see that. I, I can't recall the exact uh, place. I think it may be in Second Kings. I, I can't remember the chapter. But his son uh, that was in charge, uh, Jerem, he was killed by, by Yehu. And uh, he, was, uh, he told him to take him and throw him in Naboth's field. And uh, there is where he died, just like uh, the Lord said. And that was about 12 years after the judgment was passed. But about 10 years, as far as the best I can tell, Jezebel lived about 10 more years, reigning as, as queen. And uh, then uh, Jehu got involved again. Uh, I tell you what, now he was one that gave that family uh, what they deserved. 
And uh, he got involved and had her thrown off a wall. We all know the story. She busted open. Blood went everywhere. They trampled her with horses, left and came back, and dogs ate her and left nothing but her, her head and uh, hands and feet. And so uh, the dogs ate her right there at the wall in Jezreel. And so just like God said would happen, it happened. And I want you to know today that uh, while God is merciful, uh, God is loving, uh, God means business. God hates sin. And there's repercussions for sin. Now, sure, if you're a Christian, you're saved, you're sin, God, just, just like, what sins are you talking about? Just like he's son. He cast them as far from the east to the west. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and, and to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And so we know that. But I want you to know, here in this world, there's repercussions for your sin. You may not have to go to hell and suffer for them if you're saved, but there's repercussions. There's jail for, for people that murder. Uh, there's Christians that murder. I've heard somebody say, you know, a Christian can't murder anybody. Yeah, they can. They sure can. They can get out of God's will. They can do things, and uh, before you know it, something, something will happen. Uh, some people don't like that, but uh, that's, that's the way it is. But there's forgiveness. There's nothing that you cannot be forgiven for except for rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. That is the unpardonable sin, is rejection of Christ. And so uh, we need to remember that. There's none of us, no, not one, that's good. There's none of us that's uh, sin-free. And so uh, none of us deserve salvation, but thank God. He sent Jesus here because he loved this world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Aren't you glad of that tonight? I am too. All right. We're going to stop right there. And I probably got three or four more messages about Elijah. <laughs> Uh, maybe someday we'll preach them. I don't know. But uh, Brother Scott, you come. And let's pray together as he comes to get a song. Heavenly Father, God, we come to you tonight thanking you so much for the message. Lord, thank you for helping us get through it. Lord, uh, you know our mind tonight and our heart. Lord, we just we want to be pleasing to you. Lord, I thank you for these folks here at Northside, God, how precious they are. God, I pray that you help them, Lord, and bless them. God, watch over them, Lord. Keep them in your care. God, I'm praying for those that may be struggling tonight. Maybe it's a sin in their life or maybe something going on, a sickness. Something, Lord. You know their heart and their, their bodies and what it is. God, I'm praying for that tonight, that individual or those individuals, Lord, whoever it is. Lord, that you'll help them. Lord, give them a healing. Lord, give them forgiveness. Lord, if they turn to you and, and ask for forgiveness, God, whatever it is that's, that's on their mind tonight and their heart. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you, you help in the rest of this service as Brother Scott sings and closes the, the, the service, Lord. And thank you so much for all your blessings. For In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.